This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The first lesson is from the book of Acts, chapter 5. When they had brought the apostles, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The second reading is from Revelation chapter 1. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Here ends the reading. Please stand as we hear from the Gospel of John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Please be seated. I always feel a little bad for Thomas when this reading comes around because no matter what else he may have done in his life, no matter what else he may have said or done in the presence of Jesus, the one thing he is remembered for, the one thing is a moment of doubt and forever after he is known as doubting Thomas. And when you look out at all the churches out there that are named for the apostles, we get Johns and Peters and James and everything else. I I think I have yet to see a St. Thomas the Doubter. But if I did, I really want to go in and hear the preaching. I want to hear what would be proclaimed in a church that would lift up that identity. But I suppose somebody has to set this story up. Somebody has to be the one. Someone has to take one for the team. And so it is Thomas. And we come at the end of this story then to those words, blessed are those who have not seen but believe. It's like the whole story is set up for this little moral to be dropped at the end. We always seem to want a moral at the end. And so we name the parable the prodigal son rather than the two idiot sons who can't seem to get along together. Because we want there to be a little moral at the end. So quit your screwing around, come home and make nice. Or pick yourself up by your bootstraps or swallow, you know. We want there to be something we can do in order to set this right. But I keep asking myself when I read this story, what is Thomas's shortfall? 
Why is he set up in this story? Is it because he does not instantly fall down and say, my Lord and my God, without having first seen Jesus and seen his wounds? I suppose there are others who we can look to for that, like Mary, the first one to the tomb. When she gets there and sees the stone rolled away, what does she do? She drops down her knees and she says, my Lord and my God. No, she doesn't. Instead, she sits there crying. And she, and she ain't weeping for joy. She's gone there to find her dead son, not the risen Christ. And when she does encounter Jesus, she thinks he's the gardener. She doesn't recognize him until he comes to her and says, Mary. Well, then there's all those other disciples who are gathered together in that upper room and Jesus comes to them and they drop down on their knees and they say, my Lord and my God. Except they don't. They're scared. They think Jesus may be a ghost or something. And it isn't until he shows them his hands and his side, then we are told they were overjoyed to see him. There's bold Peter out there in his boat after the resurrection and when he sees Jesus on the shore, he says, my Lord and my God, except he doesn't. It takes that mysterious other disciple, that one who doesn't get named, to say, look, it's the Lord, before Peter recognizes him and jumps in and swims to shore. The strange thing is, is that I've yet to identify anyone after the resurrection who believes without first seeing Jesus. So why are we so rough on Thomas? Why is Thomas any different from these other disciples? The only difference I can see between them and Thomas is that Thomas just simply wasn't there. Thomas was not in that room to see Jesus when he came. Now John was the last of the Gospels written. And so by the time the Gospel of John was written, there was nobody there who had experienced the risen Jesus. In fact, there was no one there, there was no one left of that first generation who had encountered the risen Jesus to talk to. So by the time John wrote his gospel, there was not anyone who had been there in that room. There wasn't anyone who had encountered the physical Jesus. So he was writing to a whole congregation of Thomases. People who had not been there. And the question was, 
How do you believe in something you have never seen? How do you experience a Jesus who is no longer there? Enter Thomas. It's the last story that John tells in his gospel. And as soon as he's done telling that story, he says, you know, Jesus did a whole bunch of things. But I've told you this story so that you might believe. You who never met Jesus. You who never saw the resurrected Jesus. You who never got to put your finger in his wound or your hand in his side. And by the way, you'll notice it does not say that Thomas touched the wound or put his hand in his side. All he needed was to encounter Jesus. All he needed was to see the wounds. And that's where belief came from. And you notice the way that the story is kind of symmetrical, where it starts out saying, the disciples were all gathered in that room, the door was locked. Jesus comes and he says, peace be with you. And he shows the disciples his hands and his side. Then someone says, oh, Thomas, Ooh, he's not here. And they run back, they get him, they bring him, and the story starts over. The disciples were gathered in the room. The door was locked. Jesus appeared. And he shows Thomas his hands and his side. And then he believes. The only difference is Thomas is no longer alone, but in the body of believers. The body of believers. We cannot experience Jesus in the flesh. We cannot know Jesus as a man. We cannot touch the wounds. But we can experience each other. And we can see each other's wounds. Which is important to me. Because I am all too aware of my own wounds of my own mistakes, of my own shortcomings, my own doubts, my own sense of inadequacy, my own depression, my own fill-in-the-blank. And yet I find the more I'm aware of this stuff, the more I'm aware of my own wounds, my own brokenness, the sweeter the gospel sounds. And I find myself increasingly suspicious of those who preach the gospel from a standpoint of strength and certainty and praise and glory. Because what do I know of glory? What do I know of strength? What do I know of certainty? 
If I'm anything like those disciples after the resurrection, I'm scared, I'm busted, I'm despairing. But into my room comes Jesus. Somebody runs out and finds me and says, I have seen the Lord. And they drag me back to that room. They drag me back to that body. That group of other wounded disciples. Jesus shows them his wounds and then it says he breathes on them. He gives them the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, they become the body of Christ. They become the presence of Christ in the world. And although I may not be able to know the physical Christ, I can know you. And in knowing you, I can know Christ. And the gospel I need to hear is a gospel that is poured out of a broken vessel. When we speak of Christ, when we speak of the gospel, we need to make sure that we come to people wounds first, that we let them see our own brokenness, that we let them see us bleed, because it's awful hard to tell someone else that they need to hear this story unless they can see how much we need to hear this story. It's the wounds that the disciples recognized. It's the wounds that made them step back and say, my Lord and my God. And it's still the wounds that reveal Jesus to it, to us. We find him in blood. We find him in a broken body. And we find him in this broken body. At once wounded, at once whole. At once sinner, at once saint. At once broken, at once already striding into the kingdom of God, already participating in that great holy meal at the end of time. And Christ comes to us here in this room, no matter what fears we may carry, no matter what wounds we may harbor. He comes to us showing us his wounds that are the verification that he is truly with us and one of us. And he comes bearing the same message to us that he brought to those first disciples. Peace be with you. Amen.